This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a lot to discuss today, including this breaking news. Uh, this is a bit of a surprise and a shot to the gut for the Biden administration. Uh, the U.S. economy has cooled for the first three months of this year. Uh, badly, mainly because they say inflation, supply chain, labor shortages, combine them together, and the GDP in the broadest measure of goods that we have available shrank by 1.4% on an annualized basis. That's over a three-month period. And we're so linked with China. Now that they've locked down Shanghai and are about to lock down, it seems, Beijing, this could get a lot worse. Man, that is, I wonder if uh, Joe Biden now decides to take off the... Uh, take off for the Washington Correspondents' Dinner. Dr. Oz is standing by. Uh, we're going to talk about his quest to be get the Republican nomination and replace Pat Toomey, a senator from Pennsylvania. And Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour to talk broadly about the news. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. I want to clarify one thing, Jen. I probably should have said the acute component of the pandemic phase. And I think and I and that I understand how that could lead to some misinterpretation. Oh, really? You're only the guy in charge, whether the pandemic's over or not. Over or not, it's outrageous. Both sentiments are about COVID. Fauci declares the pandemic over in the afternoon. Uh, on a interview on a TV show and then on a podcast says it's not. He's the worst public official in history. Plus, billions were given to schools for COVID. Turns out millions went to teaching CRT. Inexcusable. Number two. If someone intends to intervene in the ongoing events from the outside and create strategic threats for Russia that are unacceptable to us, they should know that our retaliatory strikes will be lightning fast. And we will not boast. We will use them if necessary. Right. Uh, Vladimir, uh, we've seen your military. You're not doing anything lightning fast. Misplayed. Vladimir Putin does what America couldn't, convincing Europe they must drop Russian oil and gas right away by shutting down sales to Poland and Bulgaria. This is the best way to shut down the Kremlin war machine. Stop buying stuff from them. And now I think Europe's getting the message. We'll discuss it. Number one. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. 
Unbelievable. Grilled but little gained. That's what happened yesterday and should be the case today as HHS Secretary Mayorkas tries to justify his lack of action in our wide open border. Overrun the border it is, claiming he took over a broken system. He is flat out wrong. He's the one who broke it and he's costing us billions, including 17.2 million at least to not build a wall we paid for. With me right now is Dr. Mehmet Oz. He's a U.S. Senate candidate for Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Oz, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. The, you know, the point number one on Fauci is infuriating. It's one of the reasons I've called for him to be fired. Uh, debate, you know, challenged him to a debate. But it is remarkable he fails up. He says things that are directly contradictory on the same day, and he still gets celebrated by the liberal media. But, but uh, think about this. If you have, if you're going to call for the end of the pan- pandemic, Dr. Oz, how about calling a press conference? You don't wait for Andrea Mitchell to ask you a question. And then you go to straighten out on a podcast. Does he do anything official? He does. He probably does his proclamations per interview. That's how you get the news. I mean, how? What is? I've never seen anything like this. Well, you know, he's not respected in the public health community, but uh, in other countries. Uh, I was told during the pandemic, and as it became evident that he wasn't able to manage the, the crisis, uh, more and more people were willing to come forward. The real question is, why is everyone intimidated by him? And we know he literally went after professors at major universities, destroyed them by making them seem like they were fringe elements when they were challenging appropriately some of the mandates that he was putting out there. And the the most frustrating thing about the pandemic, for me anyway, was the fact that we censored thought. And we had this top-down, authoritarian, one-size-fits-all approach that sought to limit the involvement of other healthcare professionals. Doctors were told, don't treat your patient. Just tell them to go home and wait. If their lips turn blue, have them go to the emergency room. We literally moved the entire country away from trusting doctors and made it all about Fauci and a few people in the public health sphere who don't take care of patients normally just because they don't know how to minister to people, barking out victims, as you heard earlier this week. The the pandemic's over. The acute phase of the pandemic, the acute phase of the chronic component of the acute phase. What are you talking about? People have already declared by taking their masks off, cheering when finally the, 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 we used the law to, to get the, the masks off our face because the government wasn't going to do it. There is no end to the controlling desire of Fauci and other unelected middle-level bureaucrats who are suffocating medicine, doing the same thing in energy policy, by the way, the major driver of inflation. We see their failures at the border uh, in homelessness. There are countless places where Washington gets it wrong, where we are being fooled by ideology, false narratives that don't address the issues but make people feel better, like they're trying, but they're not really. Personally, I feel as though that seemed to me set you off, that got you into this race to begin with. When this pandemic happened and IU was calling you on or offline to ask clarification on certain things, you couldn't believe how politics got into medicine. That's just, I'm not saying it's the first time, but to me it really struck in the hydroxychloroquine, the fact that they shut it down without even looking into it, uh, you could not figure it out in a way. You didn't understand where this was coming from. Well, Brian, we were together through this. I remember calling you, and you obviously had insights into this because you've been fighting these battles for longer. Many like me were stunned. We, we saw the evidence of it, but we were stunned when it manifests so clearly. They were willing to sacrifice American lives behind ideology. Hydroxychloroquine, as you brought up, was a topic that I got into because other countries, my show was in 100 countries, right? Top health show in the world for 13 years. People would call me and say, hey, listen, over here in you know, Serbia or France, we're having really good results. So I'd come on Fox and Friends with you talking you here on the radio, and I was getting all excited about it. And then President Trump mentioned it, literally mentioned it in a news conference. It was dead to the world. 
people started rooting against a treatment when we had no others. I'm not even arguing that it works or not works anymore. Forget about that. We just couldn't even study it. I gave, as you know, a quarter million dollars to my university. Tried to. I just what ended up happening? I got the pills, got the money, got the approval, and then uh, Cuomo, the governor at the time, at the, you know, he was a god at the time. Now he's disgraced. Banned all clinical trials in New York State on hydroxychloroquine. Who does that? Then I tried to give the pills away. And guess what happened? He banned the prescription by doctors of an FDA-approved pill, never before done. And now, of course, you look at the press, they're writing articles about, oh, what was Oz trying to do with those pills? He was trying to save lives. Right. Stop virtue signaling. Don't care about caring. Care about helping and doing something worthwhile. That's what a doctor does. All right. So, by the way, it also does a great job with lupus, and, that, and there's a lot of needs for hydroxychloroquine. Uh, so the other big story uh, – not a big story, but it's a story worth noting – that uh, the press went to war with Donald Trump. I don't think there's any question about it. But that was pointed out in a different way by Jen Psaki, who says the president's determined, despite the fact the vice president is asymptomatic but positive for the COVID virus, and Anthony Fauci says it's too dangerous for him to go, the president will go to the Washington Correspondents' Dinner. Listen to Jen Psaki. It cut 18. That does stand in stark contrast to his predecessor, who not only questioned the legitimacy of the press on a nearly daily basis, but also never attended the dinner, I don't believe. Um, So he felt that was important and made a risk assessment to do that in consultation with his doctors and healthcare team. So the reason why the press, the president didn't have much respect for the press, is they ran with this Russia story that he knew wasn't true and was proven not true for three and a half years. They did not give him a fair shot. Yes, he declared war with them. But why would he go and show up at the Washington Correspondents' Dinner and act like it was a joke when he saw that they were destroying his chance uh, or his best chance to have a successful administration? What's shocking to me, and as I campaign around Pennsylvania, more and more uh, it comes to, to, to everyone very clearly that what the Biden administration is building back better is the Republican Party. Every time Biden makes a decision, it makes President Trump look better. Look at the border as an example. We literally, as you're going to point to later in the sh- in the show, we had a pro- a problem solved. It was done. Lowers the immigration rates in years. We had stalled the the cartels from making money by draining their profits by not allowing them to ship immigrants across the border. Now Biden has basically built up a cartel-run human trafficking. Uh, operation, massively profitable. They're bringing narcotics in with the human mules, the people coming in. They're using those narcotics, by the way, all across Pennsylvania. We have 100,000 deaths in this country last year from opiates. That's four times more than died from COVID under the age of 50. All of this, by the way, under the guise that we're trying to help. We want a humanitarian solution at the border. No, you're creating a humanitarian crisis by funding bad guys to hurt innocent people who are misled into thinking they can come into America. And Title 42 allowed at least half of these hundreds of thousands of people a month to be returned. Now we're getting rid of that. Biden is literally going out of his way to, to, to prove that President Trump was right. He's doing it with inflation. He's doing it with energy policy. He's doing it with foreign policy across the border. And it's rare that I have a topic that I can't address by pointing out the failure of Biden. And it was evidenced by when we did the big uh, Senate debate on Monday, well, all, all the five Candidates there had a very easy time pointing to successes of the of the Trump administration by highlighting and foil the Biden failures. Yeah, I just want to add something that just came across. Allison just showed it to me. 
Do you know that at the Washington Correspondents' Dinner, everyone's got to get tested that day and prove that they're vaccinated? But do you know that the communications director for the United, uh, for Unite here, the local 25 union, the union representing the Washington Hilton's hospitality workers, told Axios that the hotel hasn't been approached, hasn't approached the union about testing. So they will not, no one will know if the staff is vaccinated or not. So that's how idiotic, how emblematic is this of the chaos over the last two years? The staff is not vaccinated, but everyone attends is. It's theater, Brian. It's all it is. It's virtue signaling. And at this point, as shocking as it is, and we've said this before, when you put politics with medicine, when you mix them, what do you get? Politics. These guys don't care about COVID safety. It's about the optics that we did everything. I was driving in the car yesterday, and I thought we were done this. There was someone in the car next to me by themselves. Oh, don't on, say it. A young person. And what are you talking about? I mean, what kind of neuroses have we inflicted on you to make you believe that you're so much in danger? And this is affecting our youth. Again, just a reflection of being in traveling to see schools around Pennsylvania, 40 percent increase in youth anxiety, depression and significant mental health issues. We've made a generation ill by highlighting that they're going to die if another human being comes close to them. We have to move past this. What Fauci does most harmfully is he puts the veneer of science on dishonest comments. This is not about pandemic, endemic, or acute phase, late phase, chronic phase. You are not at risk of dying from COVID if you've done things based on your age and risk factors appropriately. That are, that, that's you're not at any risk, but you're such a low risk that you should not be meaningfully altering your life or certainly living in fear. And there's risks everywhere. We've always, as a population, been a brave people. The last word of the national anthem is right, brave, home of the brave. Not foolish, not dumb. Uh, We're just talking about being what Americans have always been, bravely taking on the challenges of life. The Biden administration doesn't do that. The Democratic Party, Brian, does not have an agenda for prosperity. They have no vision for where we can go. It is destroying our youth and hurting our culture. This is why Republicans must win in November, and they will win in November. Um, I tell you a couple of things real quick. Uh, Right now they have this loan forgiveness for 1.4 million people. That is out and about, and they say 60% of the American people don't even have a college degree. So they say it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost people $13,000 on average to pay back student loans that these people are going to be exempt from paying back. Does it make sense to you to do loan forgiveness, or is this a flat-out vote buy? It's a vote buy. Let's, let's be clear about the real problem here. Education costs too much. College education is six times more expensive than when you and I went to college. I could pretty much guarantee you the quality of education is not six times greater. They've hired a bunch of diversity officers, middle-level managers, you know, many cadres of people, levels of leadership, none of whom are involved with actually teaching students. And the college campuses are not held accountable. They charge too much. They get paid one way or the other. So why would they charge less? We have an industry that, is, that has been uh, profiteering, and we need to curtail it. And paying them for not doing a good job is not the way to do it. I would also argue it's a giveaway to affluent children. The bottom half of the financial pyramid does not have the ability to send their kids to colleges often. And so these young people don't get the financial stipend. I would argue invest the money in career tech, build tech opportunities, get kids coming out of high school to have careers as they desire. And when kids go to college, they must pursue careers that have some possibility of reimbursing the universities or they pick universities that charge less. And we should be squeezing universities if they're going to get federally guaranteed loans to provide better value for the education they're offering. Some of these for-profit efforts 
know these kids aren't going to graduate. They charge them for a year or two high tuition. The kids drop out. There's no value for the American taxpayers' money. All right, so I know in May, here comes your uh, primary. Right now, uh, the Monmouth poll has you up with 20%, Dave McCormick with 16 Kathy Barnett with 12 uh, in the seven-person field. But get this, Dr. Oz, in the same poll, they say Republican voters, 49% say there's no candidate in the field they are very likely to support at this stage. Do you believe this is going to be won or lost over the next couple of weeks? Oh, it's going to be a close election. And part of it's because there's been so much negative advertising, so it confuses voters. But President Trump's endorsement of me, which he did after looking at all the candidates very carefully, has really made a difference in this race. Uh, 61% of uh, the voters in Pennsylvania, Republican primary voters, say that they are meaningfully influenced. They very much care what President Trump believes. His endorsement of me has shifted the, uh, the ballot dramatically in my favor. More importantly, He's very thoughtful in this process. So when he made the announcement, and he wrote the announcement himself, he included phrases that are very valuable for Pennsylvanians to hear about me. And he specifically said that I was smart, tough, and will never let you down. Those, were, that, those phrases were picked on purpose because those are the actual things that Pennsylvanians say they need. They want someone wise enough to lead, but they want them tough enough to mm-hmm. act on what they know they must do. And they do not want to get left down because they gotcha. feel like they have been let down. Dr. Oz, thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. God bless you, Brian. Take care. You got it. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Or write me at briankilmead.com. I'll go through your comments. What's the Brian Kilmeade Show? The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. Only Congress can fix this. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. There's so much wrong with that statement. I wanted to, to play it. Number one, you have not effectively managed anything. What you've done is ferry people into communities that can't afford them. You've done it in the dark of night because you're embarrassed by it. You've done it without the governor's permission. Even in blue states like New York, they have no idea who's coming and going. And it doesn't have to be that way. Rob Astorino, uh, the local county executive here who wants to be mayor, pointed out, governor, uh, pointed out the governor's got a, a, po- a, plan, a policy on the books from the 1950s that would demand the federal government tell them what illegal immigrants they're bringing in. And number two is you did not inherit a broken system. You inherited an administration that was laser-focused on fixing it. Putting it, putting pressure on our neighboring nations to apply for citizenship in the first state, uh, first country you step into by saying when you get to our border, you will remain in Mexico and will be processed uh, there. And we got money allocated to build a wall with full technology, sensors and cameras, and you stopped it in its tracks. You also defanged ICE and defunded ICE to a great degree. They now they process instead of interrogate and pursue. You broke it. It's the administration's policies would make it worse as he knows better. He should be fired. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Elon Musk about to buy Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. Apparently, it's going down. What? The press release has been announced. (gasps) Elon Musk just bought Twitter. We got a movie star type of a superhero. It's like a movie. Like if you had a movie and there was a guy who was like a like a hero in the movie who happened to be a billionaire, does wild. Like makes his own rockets and drills under the city. He believes that free speech is important and not just important, vital for a democracy, for a a functioning democracy. And I agree with. So uh, it's uh, now is official. Joe Rogan announced it. So Joe Rogan was trending. Elon Musk is trending. Elon Musk feels like he's got it. Carly Shimkus is here. And right away, Carly, I don't know. Are you you're on social media a lot? In fact, you're on right now, right? Uh, I was on. In, I was. I was uh, on my email. Oh, um, I'm sorry that I'm a little late to the party. And I waved when you said hello because waving's a great tactic on radio. Right, fantastic. Um, but you are seen on Fox Nation, so I think that's important. Uh, so Joe Rogan pointing out that he actually knows Elon Musk, been on a number of times, especially one controversial time. So he's going to straighten everything out by flattening everything out. He's going to flatten out uh, Twitter. And I don't know how many. Let's see how many I've added now. So I'm uh, certainly not like Don. Junior or, or Tucker Carlson, who added 144,000. But I've added, since this announcement, uh, 80,000 followers. That's amazing. Yeah. 80, you have a huge Twitter following, too. You're close to, you're over half a million. Right. I'm at, I'm at right now, That's I'm great. at 637,000. So when, when uh, Donald Trump, after, I don't know when it was, was it after the election? Uh, when after the election, when uh, Trump lost, I, I lost maybe 100,000, maybe more yeah. followers. Everybody did. Well, most people did. And I could not gain. And I was not gaining at the same rate. I finally got two years later to where I was. Wow. And then Musk buys it, and I've added 80,000. Yeah. Do you think it's just people coming on? Yeah, or absolutely. You think it's, I don't think that th- they're tinkering with the algorithm just already. yet. No, I mean, it makes so much sense that um, there are conservatives who were energized about um, the fact that Elon Musk bought Twitter. So they're saying, you know what, let me check it out. Let me, you know, start create a profile. And if they watch Fox News, obviously they're going to start following you and um, other conservatives and other anchors. Um, and if you're a liberal, you're, you, we've seen the videos, people crying over this and right. they're saying that they're signing off, which, you know, that's so your choice. So be it. The biggest mystery for me is number one, he just wants to level the playing field. Number it one. It is such a mystery. I know. Right. And to find out about this algorithm, the whole shadow banning, what went into it. I know what he's going to do. If he's going to figure it out with the shadow banning, or maybe it didn't exist. I doubt, I'm, I'm sure it did. He's going to figure it out, and he's going to unmask, and he's going to announce it. Yes. And then he's going to realize that that's what you were covering up the whole time. Yep. 
That's exactly right. So um, this shouldn't be a political controversy. See how I said conservatives are signing on to Twitter, liberals are logging off. That's so sad because all Elon Musk is saying is that he just wants free speech on the platform, which is something that everybody should champion. And the biggest question mark in this whole thing politically is that it feels reversed. Um, Liberals and journalists are typically, historically, the two groups of people that champion free speech the most. Right. Brian, what happened? I don't know. It's unbelievable. They I don't mean, want certain it's... speech. I mean, I, I knew the first time I knew something was up that we've never seen before is when there were mass therapists sent out to college campuses and companies when Donald Trump won the election. What do you mean? Yep. What are you talking Safe about? Safe space. And that was the last time it was truly a balanced playing field for social media. So trust in media is down to 36%. Uh, and in terms of what, who's added what, Tucker added 144,000, Don Jr. 87,000, and then 119,000 the next day, which was yesterday. Uh, Ted Cruz added 112,000 day one and uh, 135,000 for Joe Rogan. So that that's pretty uh, – Wow, that, that is crazy. That's right. amazing. Um, so that it'll even out. I don't think that um, everybody from a – leftist persuasion is going to get off Twitter. The other thing about Twitter, and this is why I don't tweet ever. I used to. It was always just, you know, mundane stuff like a puppy gif or some fun article or an interesting article that I liked. I never really... Not the border's broken. No. Um, I, I never did controversial tweet. I mean, I don't think that's going to come as a surprise <laughs> a fact, to you. Yeah. Um, but I, that's just not how I operate. But you do have opinions. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, but what I wanted to say is that um, Twitter just gets so much it – has, it has such outsized influence on the country when – I mean practically nobody has it outside of politicians and people in the media. I mean mm. your regular does – your, does your wife use Twitter? My no. husband doesn't. Do your kids? Maybe, but uh, uh, probably not. Follow columnists. That's what uh, my son says. Uh, I That's do it, it to yeah, follow just, different columnists. Just, right. My husband thought about getting Twitter once just to follow like Barstool. That's the only reason. And it's breaking news. So a lot of times it's immediately you'll have well, a reporter go on and say it right. or an athlete go That's on. what's good for, um, you know, our job. But um, te- what, what is the statistic? 90% of no, – no, 10% of the people on Twitter post 90% of the tweets. Did you hear the statistic? Yeah. And of that – 70% are of a leftist persuasion. So it definitely doesn't, you know, uh, match the fabric, the political fabric of this country. And you can recognize that. And that's one of the reasons why I just don't use it anymore, because it's just so mean. Will it's you change so your toxic. mind? Will you? I was thinking about it. Um, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, I go on Twitter all the time just to look at stories, but I just don't actively engage. Um, OK, we're just yeah, I'm just looking at this now real quick on this. Um, this is Tim Pool, who's an elite. He's he's uh, Tim Pool's a, a podcaster. He's on the cutting edge of tech. So when Joe Rogan had his podcast, he asked Tim Pool to come on because Jack Dorsey was his guest. He wanted him to ask the founder of and now the former uh, CEO of Twitter about these algorithms and some of the controversies. Here's a little of that exchange from 2019. So your platform restricts speech. Our platform promotes speech unless people violate our rules. And in a specific direction. 
in any direction. But Uncle, oh, I don't want to say his name, the guy who calls for death gets a suspension. The guy who insinuates death gets a permanent ban. But Tim, you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. And I feel like you're doing it deliberately. It's not about one particular thing. It's about a pattern and practice of violating And you rules. have a pattern and practice of banning only one faction of people. I don't agree Quillette with that. recently published an article where they looked at 22 high-profile bannings from 2015 and found 21 of them were only on one side of the cultural debate. But I don't look at the political spectrum of people when I'm looking at their tweets. Right. You, you have a bias. I don't know who they are. You're biased and you're you are targeting specific individuals because your rules support this perspective. No. It, I it, don't agree with that. Well, so can you be clear, though, in, in like what rules support that perspective? Specifically, the, the easiest one is misgendering, right? Because that's so clearly ideological. If you ask a conservative what is misgendering, they'll say if someone is biologically male and you call them, you know, she – uh, a biologically man, you call them a she, that's misgendering. That's a conservative okay. view. The, the, the progressive view is inverted. So now you actually have in your policies a, a rule against the conservative perspective. I have a rule against the abuse and harassment of trans people on our platform. So that was the lawyer, uh, Vijay Gotti. Uh, that was the Twitter attorney, and Jack Dorsey had the follow-up there. So... I mean, for her to sit there and say there's really a bias on one side, is it's comical. It is. So she is the top lawyer at Twitter who um, held a meeting uh, recently after Elon bought the social media platform with all of these employees, and she broke down in tears during the meeting um, because she was so upset over the fact that it was changing hands and going to Elon Musk. She's also one of the people that um, had a huge hand in getting Donald Trump ban from Twitter and also supported the decision to ban the New York Post Hunter Biden reporting. So those two things that I just said completely disproves that comment from her on Joe Rogan's podcast. Right. And there are other things, too. Like, remember, it's just so it's so disgusting. I mean, um, did you see what he tweeted out? Like Elon Musk tweeted out, I uh, jokes, uh, he's going to buy Coke and put cocaine back in it. So he's just like trolling. He's you know, just like, trolling. Yes. Yeah. That's part of the superhero persona is like you never know it's really going to come from him. But um, the Babylon Bee for the perfect example. Um, Comedy site. Yep. And they get banned from Twitter because they made a joke about a transgender member of the Biden administration. So you can't even joke anymore. Um, it breaks the rules. But the supreme leader of Iran – the number one state sponsor of terror um, still can tweet, right? <laughs> and you, that's the question for you: Do you do, if uh, if those ISIS gets if ISIS gets an account, should they be allowed to tweet? Yeah, those, Grand, those are the great questions. Grand Ayatollah, should yeah. he be Supreme Ayatollah, the Supreme Ally, whatever, whatever he is? Uh, should he be allowed to tweet? Vladimir Putin's killed more people uh, probably over the last twenty years than anybody else on the planet. Should he be allowed to tweet? So we have to make a decision on that. Uh, well, not me, but he does. Uh, the, Elon Musk says. The extreme, he tweeted this out, the extreme antibody reaction from those who fear free speech says it all. And that's it. He's not saying he's going right or left. He's just going to level the playing yeah. field. I think it's going to be, I, I'm fascinated to see this, but how do you explain that Truth Social, Donald Trump's app, has had more downloads since Elon Musk bought Twitter than wow, Twitter? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I guess conservatives are just energized to be on social media again. Um, that's interesting. Right. I mean, I did it. Uh, I signed up for it, and in one week, I have 18,000 followers. Now, I'm not, I've am not. i only put one thing out. One week. Is it so, like Twitter where you could truth and you just blast yeah, out Yeah, the truth a couple... is a tweet. Okay, cool. So you can do that. So it's going to be up to yeah. you. I'm not sure about the limitation of characters. 
Uh, but All right. Well, you could press the limits later today. Right. See how it goes. I'll see how it goes. Wait, can I just say something really quick on Twitter? Here is Mark Meckler. He was on Fox and Friends first um, yesterday. He was the former interim CEO of Parler. Remember Parler? Sure. And one of the things that I asked him about, because I was really curious. So, I mean, when Amazon, Google, and Apple all ban Parler, they kicked them off their apps. They kicked them off their Amazon web service. So they shut Parler down, essentially. That was such a coordinated attempt at kicking conservatives offline. And I was wondering, you know, listen, if Elon Musk makes this platform neutral and you start to get conservative speech on it, could that happen to Twitter? He said he doesn't think so because it's so big that it may not. But I, I wouldn't put it past a lot of these big tech companies to try and silence Twitter now to get at conservatives. Right. And you know what's interesting? Truth Social is on the infrastructure of Rumble. Rumble, it can't be That's touched. That's why they're uncancelable. Yeah, they're uncancelable. So with Twitter, if they try to cancel Twitter from the main from the main infrastructure that gives you Facebook and the right? others, is I mean, it, it's, an, it clearly it hurts happen. the value. Because yeah. the thing about it, it's universal. Even though it's banned in certain countries, it's going to be interesting. I'm really happy with this discussion. Do you, are you? I'm satisfied with You're it. You're satisfied with yeah. it? Yeah. All right. Will you tweet about it? Oh, boy. Right? Yes, I will. When It'll we, be my first tweet in months. Right. It will be great. Uh, when we come back, we have more with Kali Shimkus, who's going to be on One Nation this Saturday, a repeat appearance. I'm so excited. A Thank you for show. having me back. Yeah, it's going to be great. And the good news uh, the good news is we don't know what we're doing yet, but you might just give us a clue to one story that we might be doing. <laughs> it's all about fitness. Do you want me to say it now? Squats. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade, uh, like the guy with the deep voice said. Carly Shimkus is here. Um, uh, a few things going on, Carly, uh, that I think is important to, to bring up right now. Um, I'm wondering if you think we should do more to know or if we should do what I was going to do before. Oh. Um, oh, my gosh, Brian, this is your show. Whatever I you know, want to do. I wanna, okay, I want you to hear Mike Allen of Axios said this about the current president and what the feeling is in the West Wing. Cut 29. From your conversations in the West Wing, a little glum right now, right? They know that the best indicator of what's going to happen in the midterms in November is the president's approval rating now. So look at this Gallup number, 41% approval, the lowest in Gallup. And we see here the history of that, that this is the lowest any president has been in this quarter, the fifth quarter of their presidency uh, going back 68 years, going back to Eisenhower, the exception, Trump, uh, uh, Biden's at 41 percent. Trump was at 39 percent. And Jonathan, here's one other data point uh, that leaped out at me and just shows how things have changed. There also was a higher Harvard Institute of Politics poll, IOP, uh, that showed that 41 percent, the same number of young people like Biden. But look at this. That's an 18 point drop from when he took office when he was up at 59 percent. And let alone Quinnipiac, this is 38% approval. I mean, Axios uh, tends to be middle, middle of the road. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's pretty significant. The, the attitude is terrible. Do you know they're going to lose Cedric um, Richmond is yeah, leaving? Yeah, I heard that. So he's going to be going. 
I don't really know the, any feeling of optimism. There was some great program coming down the pike. What do you think? Um, well, in terms of departures, I think the administration possibly, likely, losing Jen Psaki is going to be a big deal. Because whether you like what she's saying or not, um, aside from some comments she made about Peter Ducey, which uh, I don't think were cool, um, she's a great messenger. And uh, she can weasel in and out of tough questions very easily. And um, when she's not there, uh, it's a little different. You could tell that the messaging isn't as strong. So right. that's a big deal. Um, yeah, the poll, the polls are terrible. I mean, feel feel think not even within the white. I mean, the what, the mood within the White House matches the mood of America right now. I mean, what is going right? You have inflation, the border issue, crime. Um, you still have to wear masks on planes. They're not even taking COVID being over as a win. Oh, by the way, I was on planes, no mask. And I, I'm, no one's enforcing it at JFK or LaGuardia. Oh, wow. I, have, I did not even have a mask with me. I went to Texas, did not travel with a mask. So feel oh, wait, good no, about it. No, 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 I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Um, that's because I live in New York and I still have to wear a mask in, yeah. uh, in a train. Can you believe that? And and I and I actually um, I'm such a rule follower, but I just said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. And then my Uber rating went down. So now <laughs> you have your own Uber rating. Everybody does. Yeah, you have an Uber. Is that rating. true? They're rating us. Yeah, you never knew that. Never knew that. Yeah, I know, <laughs> Brian. I know. I don't take a lot can, of. You know, Ubers. can I tell you something? Yeah. Um, I value my Uber rating. Like I, I, I get. I worry about it because I don't want to. I don't want to have a bad Uber rating. Um, How do you know what it is? I can. Sh- if you pull up your Uber app, I'll tell you what it is right now. Okay. You want to? And want I'll to see take, who's, who's yeah, I'll take a look. Um, but there was one day when I was on time. I got in an Uber. I wore a mask. I said nothing but thank you. And I watched the guy give me four stars. In front and, of you. Yeah. And I, I was like, why? I know. Well, well I, I guess we'll see what, what this is about. I can do it if you Okay, there you me. go. Hold on. Okay. I'm going to find out. I, I don't remember the last time I took an Uber. Then your Uber, okay, your 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 Uber. Oh, we have the same Uber rating. What is it? Four point eight three. Let's see if mine is still four point eight three. That's not bad. It could be better. What, what is better? What is five is the most? I think mine is. Yeah, that's good, right? Four point eight. Well, Carly's I'm, disappointed with four point eight. So when I, people... I want a four point nine. Oh, I'm four point eight four. Right, and I was taking... four point eight five until I stopped wearing a mask, and now, now I am wearing one. Do you tip them? Uh, sometimes. You will. That's yeah, it. Uh, you're buying. You're buying boats. <laughs> Sometimes I do tip, especially if I have a good conversation. Sometimes I get into great conversations. You do start Uber. conversation. It depends. Well, I don't always start them, but you know when they're lovely, you you want to talk to them and right. Not that. Oh my gosh, them. Your Uber driver. Here's the problem. The one thing I loved about the app is they were always there. And now I, I use it sometimes in cities that aren't as popular as New York. There's nobody there. Did we just waste this block? I don't know if it's wasted. Okay, good. I think we had I'm a so good sorry. conversation. I, that was my fault. I went on a tangent. No, but the the fact is I put gave you my phone, and <laughs> it could have said By the two. way, your ring alarm just went off, and you might <laughs> want to address ah, that. Dude. That happened when, yeah. I keep getting I alerts from Truth Social, evidently, every time someone follows me. So I've had to deal with this 19,000 times. 19,000. <laughs> 19,000. That'll oof. keep you up at night. We'll see you on the weekend. Bye. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, uh, around the world, especially in the Ukraine. This hour, we're going to be joined by Douglas Murray, one of the deepest thinkers, smartest people I've ever been around. He's got a brand new book out. But we'll talk in the big picture about another theory I have that I think I'll discuss more on the weekend show, uh, Saturday at 8 o'clock Eastern time, uh, called One Nation on Fox News. But I really believe that the, the... the rational is beginning to take over in our country. And I see liberals as well as conservatives not going to moderates, just not being insane where the 1619 project makes sense or that um, uh, or that we're being, you know, the whole foundation of America is falling apart. I think that the Ukraine war plays into that, too. So uh, we'll talk about that with a, with a guy who just wrote the book, The War on the West. Uh, Douglas Murray. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. I want to clarify one thing, Jen. I probably should have said the acute component of the pandemic phase. And I think and I and that I understand how that could lead to some misinterpretation. Because you misinterpreted, as usual, over or not, it's outrageous. Both sentiments are about COVID, and it's Anthony Fauci. Fauci declares the pandemic over in the afternoon interview with Andrea Mitchell, and then walks it back in an evening podcast. He's the worst public official in history. Plus, billions were given to schools for COVID. Turns out millions went to teaching CRT from New York to California. Not okay. Number two. If someone intends to intervene in the ongoing events from the outside and create strategic threats for Russia that are unacceptable to us, they should know that our retaliatory strikes will be lightning fast. And we will not boast. We will use them if necessary. Vladimir Putin, through an interpreter, misplayed. Vladimir Putin does what America couldn't, convincing Europe they just drop Russian oil and gas right away because they decided to drop Poland and Bulgaria's natural gas supply. This is the best way to shut down the Kremlin war machine. Go somewhere else to buy your energy. We'll also bring in the latest from the battlefield. Number one. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Not true, Mr. Mayorkas. Grilled but little gained. That's what happened yesterday, which should be the case today as HHS Secretary Mayorkas tries to justify his lack of action on our wide open border. It's overrun. He claim it's not. Uh, He claims the system was broken when he took over. It isn't. He's one of those who broke it and is costing us billions, including admitting to 72 million not to build a wall that we paid for. Can you believe this? So the wall we paid for. First off, I want to arm you guys with with the truth. Number one, it wasn't just a wall from the roads built around it to the sensors on it to the cameras implanted in it. It was a total listening and visual device along with a block it and ferrying and funneling operation. It was funded by you guys. A billion dollars would have got about 200 miles. Then we got another 1.5 billion, another 200 miles. Things were being built. It stopped. It's now rusting in the desert. And he says it's just $72 million. He said, go see the Army Corps of Engineers. The Army Corps of Engineers hired by the government to build it was stopped to build it. Yesterday, I'm on the plane uh, coming back from Galveston doing a special uh, for Fox Nation on energy. 
Uh, and, you know, basically, I, I don't know how many people listening right now really know how oil and gas work, the drilling, the technology, the seismic coverage, uh, what goes into it, the investment needed for it, and how far we've come, and how it fuels our economy in the world. So we're going to do it for what makes America great. The guy across from me is building the Texas wall. I'm not kidding. So he comes over. He lives on Long Island. He commutes, uh, lives in, uh, lives in uh, McCallum, Texas. And he was building our wall, the federally funded wall. And then they stopped that. Then in comes Governor Abbott says, hey, I need my, the workers back. I'm going to build my own wall in a different place. It's going slow, but they are building it. And it is effective. But it just galls him the time they were putting in to build this wall and the progress they were making and having it stopped on pure politics. And when first off, I'm going to let you hear this. If you missed it yesterday, if you have a job and you're able to listen today, here's uh, Secretary Mayorkas flat out lying. Cut one. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. Only Congress can fix this. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Managed by throwing them all over the United States without telling the governors or the mayors or the teachers. And I happen to know this, too, living in Long Island, where we're getting so many kids from other countries into our school systems. They're being dropped in. It's not this. They're not even speaking Spanish. They're speaking a different language. If you're an English speaking teacher, you're up against it now. No, now you the third language. In comes English as a second language program. They have to take more time away from your kids. You are not managing. You are ferrying and dumping, and you you are not waiting for a reform. The first thing you do is secure the border. Then you let politicians talk about reforming our system. Then you'll have a case. But now you have no case, especially when you open up and say and you had broken and inherit. You broke a system. That was you didn't break a system that was broken. It was broken when you got there. Well, the anger was was palatable. Listen to Congressman Clay Higgins of Louisiana. Cut five. By God, man. On the moment. I've been called upon to resign by myself and others. Next year, if we have the majority in this committee, which we shall, if you're still in office, you'll face impeachment. I ask you as a man. Own this thing. We're losing our country down there. I couldn't disagree with you more. Uh, Of course not. And the thing you know is happy about it or indifferent, the president of the United States. If Mayorkas was doing a good job, he'd probably get himself in trouble. But he's doing, but he's lying about it and he's deceiving about it. Here's Brandon Judd. He was president of the National Border Patrol Council. So obviously he talks to all these men and women at the border and he knows this guy's lying. Cut eight. Well, and that's the problem. He, he constantly talks about what the problem is behind closed doors, but he won't tell the American public the truth. The American public has a right to know that at times there are 250-mile stretches of border that are completely and totally uncontrolled, unpatrolled. We are not managing this crisis. That is not managing it. When you have 8,000 people uh, that we're arresting every single day, that's not managing a crisis. What he's talking about, those six pillars, that's an immigration plan. It's not a border security plan. What we're talking about is border security. Everybody wants a secure border, and we just don't have that right now. Right, and he knows it, and he's lying to you. Now Title 42 is going to make it worse. He handed out his six pillars of success, and even Senator Kelly, a Democrat, desperate to keep his job and shouldn't, he's done nothing, says there's not really much in it. And Title 42 is being 
stayed to leave in place as they examine whether it's okay to pull it out and saying the pandemic uh, is over. So the pandemic's over, removed Title 42. Wait a second. We're suing to make sure mass mandates stay in planes because a judge ruled they shouldn't be because the pandemic's over. The administration say, no, it's not. We got to extend it. Really? Well, what's right? Title 42 or the mass mandate that you want to put back in planes? Good news is, as I mentioned earlier hour, I was in LaGuardia Airport in JFK. I was in uh, Houston Airport. No one's wearing a mask. I didn't even have one with me. I had no plans on wearing it. And then on a plane, not even nobody's even wearing it. I look back in the plane today. Uh, the plane was packed, average size jet, maybe 10 masks. And now when I see these studies that say that 52% of the American public wants to leave the mask mandates on, well, why aren't they? I've been on five planes since, maybe more, since this whole thing went back and forth and the judge stepped in. Most people are not wearing any masks. So I don't know who they're polling. And I don't know if that's as skewed as Anthony Fauci. So this is uh, some of the thing that's outrageous. Didn't have a chance to be with you yesterday and really go over it, but I'm going to go over it now. Uh, and that is what's happened with the pandemic. Anthony Fauci, out of nowhere, when asked about the pandemic, if it's over or not, he basically declared it in an interview with Andrea Mitchell over. Cut 16. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. I want to clarify one thing, Jen. I probably should have said the acute component of the pandemic phase. And I think and I and that I understand how that could lead to some misinterpretation. Is the pandemic still here? Absolutely. Okay. I don't know what to say. He's coming up with policies that have huge implications. In interviews, that's all he's ever done. And I just don't see it is like playing on a basketball team and one guy keeps throwing the ball out of bounds and the coach to never subs him out. And I'm watching the game and you just watch the game and say, why does this player keep throwing the ball out of bounds? Why is he not concentrating? Why is he making things up? Why is he not running the plays? And everybody ignores it. It's maddening. So they quickly had to walk the whole thing back. It brought to Marty McCary was brought on last night with Tucker. And just said between the mass mandates, for example, they have a gridiron dinner, 80 people. It's a big political dinner. 80 people get to test positive. Almost nobody has any symptoms, by the way. So it's not serious. You test positive. Okay, 80 people. So now you're about to have the Washington Correspondents' Dinner. I'm not going this year. I just can't get uh, – I just can't give up a weekend to go. But I, I, I was invited, had a ticket. I'm not going to deal with it. Uh, there's no reason for me to go. But the president of the United States has a vice president who tested positive, so she can't run the country, can't anyway. And now the president of the United States says, I'm going to go. Wait a second. Anthony Fauci said, I'm not going to go. But the president of the United States, 78 years old, who acts like he's 98, he's going to go. And don't tell me he's healthy. Dr. Marty McCary, on the mixed, mixed, mixed signals. Cut 21. The NIHA has $42 billion, Dr. Fauci could have answered the question about surface transmission versus airborne transmission. When people were pouring 30 to gallons of alcohol-based solutions on their mail and groceries, these are questions that could have been answered in a few days of rigorous study. Cloth masks, similarly, ignoring natural immunity. They're still not honest about natural immunity. Boosters in young people, myocarditis in young males after the vaccine, and the mental health crisis that we have essentially created after shutting uh, kids out of public schools 
in most of the country. Mass scores are down 10 percent. Depression is epidemic. The CDC won't even tell us what the suicide rates were during the pandemic, which is very odd. They publish that every year on an annual basis. You cannot find it anywhere, the suicide rates over the last two years. Unbelievable. Hey, when we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Could you please explain to the subcommittee how the department can justify arguing in court that the pandemic has subsided enough to warrant the termination of Title 42, while at the same time arguing in a separate case that the public health consequences are dire enough to warrant compelled mask usage by Americans on public transportation. So here's Garland's answer. With respect to the mask mandate on the planes, uh, I think this is quite transparent. The CDC uh, announced uh, its assessment uh, that this was a program that was uh, continued to be necessary uh, in the um, confines of uh, airplanes and public transportation. The only question for us is that uh, a lawful, um, and uh, they asked us to appeal. Uh, Solicitor General concluded it was lawful, um, and so we have appealed. Uh, with respect to Title 42, it's the same analysis from our side, from the Justice Department's side. The only question here is... Um, the CDC's program if the, um, and the CDC's announcement and its assessment. And we defend that program as long as it's lawful. We don't make the public health uh, determinations that you're speaking of. Yeah, oh, well, they're still in place. one 408 Thank goodness the judge is stopping it from evaporating in May, but who knows what another judge is going to do. Alex, uh, you're listening in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alex. Well, hi, thank you for taking my call. I just want to say is, I don't blame uh, Biden for the uh, mess at the border and the other problems that are damaging our country. I blame the three demographic groups that gave the majority of their vote to Joseph Biden in the last election, uh, because uh, the ultimate responsibility for the quality of life in our country rests with the people, and we must act responsibly when we go to vote. Uh, Listen, I hear what you're saying, Alex. But you would think a guy that told everyone he was going to be a moderate, that voted in the past for a wall, he was 78 years old. Uh, I did not vote for him. But for those people who voted for him, I don't know if they thought he was going to allow 2 million people to get in here illegally, that fentanyl was going to be killing thousands in uh, suburbs around America. I don't even thought people were going to lose it to this extent. I mean... I I blame people for voting him in because he's totally incompetent. He has lost he's lost his fastball and his sinker before our eyes. He only gets it back once in a while, and the vice president's worse than ever. But you don't need to be a hands-on president. All you have to do is give the right people, empower the right people to put him in the right places. Mayorkas is not empowered to do anything because of the people around him that got him elected. And he got 80 million votes. Unless something's proven differently, 80 million votes. Donald Trump got more votes than anybody else. There was a huge turnout. But 
this is beyond bad. I mean, as uh, Carol, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said last night, everything he touches just falls apart. Thanks so much for the call. But uh, just to move on real quick, um, uh, just about uh, what's going on also with his son. They're laying the groundwork uh, to really give him problems in the next two years should the Republicans get the Senate in the House. Listen to this question to Jen Psaki as it becomes more and more apparent that he had his business – he has met with Hunter Biden's business people repeatedly 22 times when he was vice president, well, at least one time one-on-one. And the other thing is one of these guys was actually paying his taxes, doing his taxes. Hunter Biden's business partner. Jen Psaki can't continue to say this. Cut 28. But real quick, I want to take another stab at a question I tried yesterday. You answered the first part of it. We've heard the president say over and over again that he has never spoken to his son about his business dealings. Has he ever spoken to his son's business partners about his son's business dealings? Again, nothing has changed about what I said yesterday. The president does not get involved in the business dealings of his son. Even through his son's business partners? Nothing has changed since what I said yesterday. I don't believe you answered that part of my question yesterday. He's not involved in his son's business dealings. Hmm. It's not going to work anymore. I mean, the pictures on the golf course with his partners, the pictures in front of a plane with his partners, his schedule all of a sudden magically does not list when he was vice president meeting with his partners. And then you have emails that so Hunter Biden, and I'll just paraphrase, hey, Hunter, your father, uh, your father owes you money, so therefore I'm going to take a portion of his tax return I'm going to write a check to you once I deposit his money in his bank. That's a business partner of Hunter Biden talking about Joe Biden's tax returns, money that Hunter is owed. Is it for a family reunion that Hunter financed? We're going to discuss it when we come back where that story is going and where the West is going. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Ukraine, too. Douglas Murray will be here. He's got a brand new book. Uh, It is called... War on the West. Back with you in just a moment. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Putin seeking to deter the United States and our NATO allies from providing the military assistance that Ukraine depends on to carry on the fight. Putin's not succeeding at that. We're providing massive amounts of military aid, howitzers, uh, those Phoenix ghost uh, drone systems with the lethal capability, javelins, stingers, T-72 tanks, uh, helicopters, the list goes on. But Russia is very concerned. The other facet of this that the intelligence community has to be focused on uh, is what's really going on inside the Kremlin and with Russian military and how serious Russia might be about using weapons of mass destruction, including tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield, given uh, the poor performance of the Russian military. Uh, That is uh, Dan Hoffman, who used to be stationed over in Moscow. And Dan Hoffman talking about the fact that these continued nuclear threats by Vladimir Putin, to a degree, have to be taken serious. For one thing, he does do what he says he's going to do. He also can't be trusted. So you factor both those things in. And I also don't think he's healthy, and you know he's got to be frustrated. In fact, Mike McCall, who was an ambassador there during the Obama years, came out and said, uh, Putin lost. He might win some battles, but he lost. I'm not willing to say that. I know what he's setting up some provisional governments in uh, Kyrgyzstan 
and some other places and just claiming he's in charge and demanding rubles uh, from this new uh, pseudo government that no one sees as valid. And, of course, the Ukrainians, you know how tough they are. They're never going to accept it. With me right now uh, in studio, uh, he's in the middle of a book tour now, is is, uh, Douglas Murray. Douglas, great to see you. It's great to be with you, Brian. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, What's going on right now is is perfect for your book. It's like the the War of the West, it looks like. And the one that the the West declared on itself, we can't even afford to be selfish at this point. That's what I think. I mean, you look around the world, you look at what communist China is doing, you look at what Russia is doing in Ukraine, you, you look at all the people who are competitors and opponents, and then you think, why on earth at this point in history would we decide to just beat ourselves up as relentlessly as we've been doing. So the name of your book uh, is called The War on the West, and you got a Fox Nation special uh, diving deeper into to the anti-West arguments, some of them coming from the Western communities themselves. And we can, can we see this on Fox Nation right now? Absolutely. It's on Fox Nation. Uh, everyone can uh, log in and follow it there. So from the 1619 Project, where America's built on stolen land <laughs> uh, off the backs of slaves— from uh, what's happening in this country in our – as you're seeing in CRT, trying to get into people mm-hmm. younger and younger, uh, and the lack of uh, national pride. I really believe that we're getting towards a time for the rational and the reasonable, not moderates. Do you see any hope in the Joe Rogans of the world, the Joe Manchins of the mm-hmm. world, the Bill Mars of the world, mm-hmm. perhaps the Henry Cuellars of the world – who are just saying, wait a second, this doesn't even make any sense to open up our border. It doesn't make any sense to spend $1.9 trillion in the middle of an inflationary cycle. It doesn't make sense to uh, push back on Build Back Better. It doesn't make sense not to arm the Ukrainians. Well, here's what just makes absolutely no sense, is to decide that you just are no good as a country in America. That just makes no sense to me. And that idea has been born here in the United States and it's spilt out across the Western world. And this is causing repercussions daily, not just in America, but across the free West. We, ha- we are in this very, very dangerous position in America where, as you say, the 1619 Project, pumped out by the New York Times, once regarded as the paper of record in America, decides that they are going to reframe the founding date of America. Now, that's just the start, as you know. You go through the, the CRT taught in schools. You see the, the war, what I describe as the war on white people, where white pupils are told that they are guilty because of the color of their skin. What a horrible thing to tell any child. If, if that was said about black children, we would quite rightly say that's a racist thing to say. And yet white children are being told there is something wrong with them because they are born white. White people in America have the, the, uh, pathologized. We're told that people have well, not just white guilt, but white fragility, white tears, uh, missing white woman syndrome. You remember that? Then you've got white rage. Uh, and this isn't fringe. This is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff last year, Mark Milley, talking about this in front of Congress. You have people of the West being attacked in the West and then everything in our history, everything, being assaulted. And why would you be able to make any good decisions in the present if you decided that everything and everyone in the American past was rotten? How about this? I mean, in Britain, they're also tearing down their statues. Oh, yeah. They've also got that wokeism there. And I know in France, Macron has made that statement. We don't want that taking root in That's France. Right. That's right. It's amazing that, isn't it? You know, um, I've been a lover of America all my life, a great Atlanticist, and I have never before seen a situation in which even the French are trying to cut themselves off from American influence. Culture. 
yeah. because American culture has gone so bad that even the French president would say, we can't import this. You know, they have imported some of it. They've got their own statue pulling downs going on there. But you're right. I mean, my own country of birth, Great Britain, we even see Winston Churchill attacked. We even see Winston Churchill's statue boxed up and, and, and put in an iron box because it's attacked so often. It's the same thing that has and it's come from America. It came from America when people in America decided that the founding fathers were rotten. And remember the city we're sitting in here in New York? Again, it's not a fringe movement. The council chamber here in this city, we uh, boxed up, crated out, and wheeled the, wheeled the statue of Thomas Jefferson out the back door last year because, as one of the councils said, Thomas Jefferson doesn't reflect our values. Unbelievable, right? I mean, which is the, <laughs> to be a laugh track on that. They also got rid of Teddy Roosevelt in front of the museum. His uh-huh. family founded Museum of Natural History. That's right. They also took Thomas Jefferson out of Hofstra University mm-hmm. because it offended. That was a, it's a Long Island. That's a Long Island college, very prestigious. Uh, we used to have a presidential uh, conference every year that the whole world paid attention to. They was offending some of the students. You know, so they just moved it off to a site off campus. This is the thing. So it, it begins with mobs pulling things down, but then the adults give up. The people who should protect the monuments give up. We've seen this with statues of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln is now one of the villains of American history, apparently. Uh, first of all, the mob in places like Portland pull the statues down, but then the local authorities take away Lincoln statues preemptively. This is the problem in America. The adults have exited the room. We're not willing to stand up for our own history. It's unbelievable. We should be the ones that we used to be called the arrogant Americans. They come into a country, expect everyone to speak English. They're very loud, right? They think they, 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 we yeah. think we're the best at everything. That used to be, we used to be the ugly American. Right. Now we are ugly before we got there. It's almost like we need a self-esteem course. Do you believe it started with Barack Obama's apology tour? No, I think it started before then. This is a generational movement. I mean, this has been going on for 50 years, and it has just sped up in the last decade. And you're right, Brian. It, Americans are now encouraged to be cringing people. Cringing. That we're meant to be born, particularly if you're white. You're meant to be born, you're meant to apologize, you're meant to go through life acknowledging your alleged privilege, even if you've got absolutely nothing and none of your ancestors did either. You're meant to think your country is rotten from the outset. You're not meant to feel any pride in anything. And you're meant to exit this life having hopefully harmed nobody. Does that sound like a good idea for the American vision? Well, no. But that is what is being taught. And I I try to lay this out in remorseless detail in the book from what is happening in schools and colleges to the media, but to every single institution in this country that is meant to protect and safeguard this country. And guess who's using it against us? China and Russia. Yeah. They're saying, look at what's happening with these gender fluidity. Look what's happening with the hormone replacement. Look what's happening with the self-inflicted wounds. And then I'm watching Chris Ray the other night in 60 Minutes. He's the FBI director. And he just talks about the threats on America, and yeah. they want to make it Russia, Russia, Russia. He's like, you know, they're actually teaching masculinity courses, right. and you can't act if you're gay. You can't act gay in China. I mean, right. obviously, it's an abhorrent society. We see what they're oh. teaching those in Shanghai yeah. and now soon to be Beijing. But listen to what Chris Ray says is the threat to America. The biggest threat we face as a country from a counterintelligence perspective is from the People's Republic of China and especially the Chinese Communist Party. They are targeting our innovation, our trade secrets, our intellectual property uh, on a scale that's unprecedented in history. They have a bigger hacking program than that of every other major nation combined. They have stolen more of Americans' personal and corporate data than every nation 
combined. It affects everything from agriculture to aviation to high-tech to healthcare, pretty much every sector of our economy. Anything that makes an industry tick, they target. So that's our enemy. And yeah. a common enemy can unite a country. That should be our that should be our common enemy. Instead, we're beginning to remove tariffs that mm. were put in place during the Trump administration that will allow us to compete on somewhat level playing field and bring some manufacturing back to America. Right. You know, there's only one – I completely agree with what we just heard. There is only one country in the 21st century likely to actually supersede this one as the primary economy of the world, as the, as the driver of the China. global economy, and that's China, run, of course, by the Communist Party of China. Now, here's the thing. At one point, actually, in the war on the West, I say, let's just take a step back from it and look, as, as you've just done, at what the rest of the world is doing. I, I tell the story there of something remarkable that happened at the United Nations last year. There was uh, International Racism Awareness Day, one of these really useful uh, UN days. You, know, you can imagine an enormous amount is achieved there. Yeah. Um, the American ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, one of her first uh, parts of the job, she speaks there on the floor of the UN and denounces America as a racist country, says we've been racist from our birth, says that we've been guilty from our birth, she talked about George Floyd. She talked about that, that terrible shooting incident at the Asian, the Asian spa massacre, it was referred to. turned out it was nothing to do with the race of the women. This, this horrible guy gunned down these people at the spa. But she says on the floor, the United Nations ambassador of the United States says on the floor of the United Nations that that's just the latest incident of racism in America. So she goes through all this. She says how rotten America is. The, the U.S. ambassador. At the end of it, she mentions in passing, well, there is other racism in the world. I mean, there's the treatment of the Rohingya Muslims in uh, Myanmar, and then, of course, there's the treatment of Uyghurs in uh, China. Who's the next speaker up on the floor of the United Nations but the Chinese ambassador to the United Nations? And he stands up and furiously attacks her. He says, America's representative today did something unprecedented in the history of this organization. She came and confessed her country's guilt. So... We will not listen to any lectures from America. Right. What a shot in our own feet. Unbelievable. Keep on doing. Right, and that helps their people too. So yeah. that, the government knows the difference. Yeah. But their people go, look, I'll, I'll use her own words. Sure. And they'll just play it. So yeah, yeah. I've never seen such obvious self-inflicted wounds. No. There was I'm, a time when international relations took a nuance and a knowledge that really I need to get an expert to, to define this. But I'm seeing such idiocy on the world yeah. stage that it's so easy to figure out. Yeah. It's, it, it, it all comes back to this crucial thing. If we don't think we're any good in the West, why would we be able to do any good today? Why would we think we can tell other people what is right and wrong? Why would we think that, oh, if, if our system is so rotten, if we are indeed, as all of these officials in the Biden administration and others say, institutionally racist and guilty from birth and have founding sins and ineradicable sins and, and so on, well, of course we can't stand up to the Communist Party of China, even as they have concentration camps in their own country. Of, of course we don't ha feel we have that right, because our representatives don't seem to like this country awfully much. Our, our, our children at schools are taught to actively believe that this country is uniquely guilty, and they're not taught what the rest of the world has been in the past or what it's like in the present. You know, what we have in America is not just unbelievably rare in world history, but unbelievably rare in the world now. The most successful multi multicultural country in the history of the world. Right. 
We've already proven the experiment works. Now all of a sudden we want to go back 200 years and condemn people that laid the foundation for this democracy and this yeah. capitalistic society that allows people fulfill their goals and their dreams regardless of what they are. You know, the 1619 Project said that capitalism is also part of the racism. It's, it claimed that, that, that slavery was capitalism. By the way, another ignorance of these people. Most of the manufacturing came out of the North. Most of our economy was fueled by the North, where there were almost yeah. no slaves. One percent of the African-American population. Exactly. And what's more, of course, the system of slavery was effectively a feudal system. It had nothing to do with capitalism. These people just lie about everything. Right. But, but, the, but the, the crucial thing here is we know we must be doing something right in the West. How do we know? Because the footfall comes only one way. Absolutely. Okay. The boats coming across the Mediterranean in Europe, trying to come into Europe. North Africans do not meet boat boatloads of French people going the other way, trying to escape to Africa. When people come across the southern border of the United States by their millions, they don't meet Texans desperately trying to flee to Mexico. Right. You know, it's not a revolving door. The, the the footfall is one way, and if you look at every single statistic on migration in the world, what's the number one country people want to come to? This one, America. Right. So here's my point. If that is the case, and it is, there must be something good about us now. Here's the follow-on point. If there's something good about us now, there must have been something good about us in the past. We know that to be true. We'll pretend like we don't know the answer to that. But when we come back, what other things could give us hope that we can maybe turn the corner? And I believe there is a lot of hope. Uh, Guess what? Uh, We're coming back with Douglas Murray. His special is now out, uh, The War on the West, as is his book, Don't Move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade douglas murray still here fox News contributor author of the brand new book the war on the west he's also got a special on fox nation about it douglas don't you agree from what you outlined uh last block and what we've discussed in the past the pushback in virginia the pushback mm. in florida doesn't it get you to understand that the majority of people don't agree with this uh politically uh revisionism, the 1619 Mm. Project and others. Don't you believe we're one good leader away from Mm -hmm. leading America back to high self-esteem? Exactly. But I just add what you say first there is in a way even more important than the leader question, because there is always a tendency, isn't there, for all of us to sort of hope that like one person can lead us out of a mess we're in. I myself don't think that's the case. I think the only people who can lead us out of this mess are ourselves. The only people who can lead America out of the mess we're in are the American people. The school board gave you help. Exactly. Hope, right? Exactly. See, this is one of the best stories of our time. Because, you know, there's a famous phrase, everybody's conservative about the things they know about. Um, every parent knows about their kids. And they know best what their kids should and shouldn't be taught. And it's in the last year, two years, that American parents have started to really wake up to what their kids are being taught. That at schools in New York and across the country, their kids were being taught about white guilt and all of these other crock terms about CRT. White fragility. Two years ago, 
only people in uh, like stupid bits of academia knew about CRT. Now everybody knows about it, thank goodness. But it was a groundswell of American parents who started to speak up about this at school board meetings and many more. This is the hope for America. And my hope is that we can help, we, people like you, me, people who've got a voice, can help people who don't have a voice apart from in their local area to know the arguments they need for us all to win. And one of the keys would be to keep it out of Republican and Democrat and just start talking about the country. Exactly. And right and wrong, not right and left. Yeah, exactly. And what, crucially, what unites us. Right. You know, because America has the greatest story of any nation. You don't need to agree when your founding fathers are attacked. You don't need to agree when, when Abraham Lincoln is attacked. You don't need to agree when they talk about white guilt. You can push back against this and you can win. Right, uh, because you're right. <laughs> the facts are on your side. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, uh, so is this book. Uh, go out and pick it up. It's called The War on the West. Douglas, uh, congratulations on it. It's a great and I'll pleasure. talk to you on TV about it. Look forward to it. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in Ukraine. Uh, Kennedy's going to be here shortly. Okay, she's here. Uh, former senator of Massachusetts, Scott Brown, at the bottom of the hour. And Kelsey Grammer will close out the hour. And then I'm going to sprint in and do Outnumbered. Uh, so that'll be exciting. Kennedy, you know, is co-host of Outnumbered at 12. Will you be co-hosting today? I will not. What a shame. Well, saw the schedule and uh, requested a shift in days, Brian. Because? Oh, no reason. Could it be? Oh. <laughs> no, I was on Monday. Oh. 7 p.m., you can watch your show on FBN at Kennedy Nations. We're to follow her. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. I want to clarify one thing, Jen. I probably should have said the acute component of the pandemic phase. And I think and I and that I understand how that could lead to some misinterpretation. Uh, over or not, it's an outrage. Both sentiments are about COVID. Fauci declares pandemic over in the afternoon interview with with some woman, and then goes on another podcast and declares it's not over. He's the worst public official in history. Plus, billions were given to schools for COVID. Turns out millions went to teaching CRT. No joke. Number two. If someone intends to intervene in the ongoing events of the outside and create strategic threats for Russia that are unacceptable to us, they should know that our retaliatory strikes will be lightning fast. And we will not boast. We will use them if necessary. Misplayed. Vladimir Putin does what America couldn't, convincing Europe they just should drop Russian oil and gas right away by shutting down Poland and Bulgaria. This is the best way to shut down that Kremlin war machine. We'll also bring you the latest from the battlefield. Number one. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Liar. 
Grilled but little gained. That's what happened yesterday and should be the case today as HHS Secretary Mayorkas tries to justify his lack of action in our wide open border overrun currently. And it's a broken system that he broke. He is flat out wrong. He did not inherit a broken system, but he did inherit a wall, which he's let rust in the middle of the desert that costs at least $72 million. And it was a high tech wall with cameras and sensors. Uh, talk about high tech. Kennedy's got camera uh, cameras and sensors uh, with your iPhone and great sensibility. Yes, and I use my Spidey proprioception to always land on my webbed feet. Right, just keep in mind, Spider-Man not real, successful franchise. Oh. But yeah, we if, if we did, he would well, certainly help. because we uh, dampens the day, Brian. But I will say this, Kennedy, I would love to get, if Spider-Man was around, I'd like him now in his unitard helping out with crime because we have no <laughs> idea how to stop it, evidently. In, no. the, in New York City. Nope. It's uh, it's it's scary. You know, it's it's you know what's scary? My American Express bill every month because my daughters take Uber everywhere, and part of that is I don't want them on the subway. I right. wish I wish they would walk around, but even walking around is not safe. Can I bring up one thing? You just might want to. I don't want to tell you how to raise your kids, yeah. but maybe if you use Visa, you don't have to pay it all back in one month. You could pay it back month by month. I don't like having debt though. Oh, you know? Yeah. Do you know what country you're in? You're in the wrong country if you don't like debt. I thought this was Eritrea. <laughs> no? Yes. Oh. That is fantastic. Yeah. I love voting there. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know what? Also, uh, Belize is a good place to vacation. We have really ca- caught on to that Belize momentum. Yeah, there's it's, a lot of expats in Belize, too. <laughs> a lot of Americans just, just, just sitting sit there. around. Yeah. yeah, I'll stay in my mud hut. I don't want anything to do with that country of carjackers, <laughs> especially in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, did you see that video of the Bronx? This guy gets carjacked. They, they continue to sit on the car and drive down with the carjacked car. They're saying, I'm carjacking. I'm good at it. And I don't plan on running from it. Meanwhile, there's video everywhere. But progressives are like, you do you. That's great. You, know, you found something you're passionate about. You do you. And the man has kept you down. So I right. think that's great. Again, men are the problem. Clearly. How many times have I said that? I mean, four times this morning. Right. And that was just when we were playing squash. Which is, by the way, squash, more popular than racquetball. Surprise is still around, right? Because you got to go indoors. There's no fresh air. No. It's a very snooty sport. Right. Upper class. Yeah. I mean, croquet, snooty as well. I was the president of the Lake Ridge High School Croquet Society, so I'm actually uh, going to... Agree to disagree on that one, Brian. Society. Society Again, that yes. means you're out, right? It, it's exclusatory. We were the largest uh, s- sport in the state. We had 183 members. I was uh, president of Long Dart, uh, the Lawn Darts Association. Bring back Lawn Darts. Right. That's, uh, kids are too soft because right. we don't have Lawn Darts. Right. Why, why was that ever green-lighted, right? <laughs> it was just because that and uh, toss-across. Oh, I, that's but now they have cornhole. You know, which is like toss across without the moving parts. It's almost like the first Apollo mission. Mm-hmm. You look at that first capsule and you say we could do it better, and then we end up with the space shuttle. So the cornhole is the space shuttle of toss across. Yeah, so I can't wait to see what the SpaceX is. Right. I guess we'll have like hover bags. You know, little bags, little corn bags. Then no, then no, because it's gravity. Mm-hmm. No right. gravity. No, they, they hover. All right. So I heard you're very much against Elon Musk buying Twitter. Uh, I'm no. I, I think you actually misheard that. Oh. I, I'm very much for Elon Musk buying Twitter, and I'm very happy that uh, 
the people at Twitter, the the whiny children at Twitter are worried their dark overlord is going to come in and he, he understands algorithms. Like that's the most terrifying thing when someone who runs a company is good at math and they know that like he can read code. He understands he's going to throw everything open and be like, nope, nope, you're fired. Oh, you, you decided to suspend the Babylon Bee? You're done. Oh, you were the one who said that the New York Post couldn't share that tweet? You're out of here. Uh, so now I have been one of the beneficiaries, as I'm sure you have, in droves. I have thousands more followers this week because people are terrified of him. Yeah, let me let me check right now in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think we're getting more followers because people who like us are going back to Twitter or have no. given up on Twitter? Absolutely not. Or do you think something's already— No, they, they took some of the, the internal shackles already? off. Already? Absolutely. Is in that a hunch? anticipation— yeah, I mean— Because you, you know, usually like, know stuff. Everyone's talking. No one's going to Twitter. It's, you know, engagement is up. It's it's not just more followers. It's you put something out and you get more engagement, okay. whereas before, like, that was part of the shadow banning was you weren't suspended. You weren't kicked off of Twitter. People could still read your tweets, but they weren't shared naturally and organically and now there is a more organic process because they've taken off the shackles. I'm just watching wrestling on television. I'm watching President Biden wrestle with the teleprompter. Oh, that is so sad. Right. He's reading now. He's making remarks on Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. You know the Putin price hike? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Allison, if anything happens, you'll let me know, right? Inflation will outlive the war. Right. Unfortunately, I, it's very important. It was born there before the war. war. It was born before the war. It was it was an adolescent. It was like an ornery adolescent before the war, and now it's got like its first job, and it thinks it has fu money, and uh, it it just stole your Corvette out of the garage. Right. It or the Corvette you was going to buy you don't buy, which hurts the salesperson because he can't get commission. He can't, he can't uh, take he can't his kids chips to Disneyland and, right, or he, Disney World because yeah. we're on the East Coast. Right, uh, but also he can't get chips to buy that car anyway. So the chips are the problem. By the way, uh, is it me or if the Chinese overreacted? To what? Uh, to COVID-19. They've overreacted. Yeah. You think so, if, if they, so they hate data. Uh, they, they don't like math and science. Which, so they steal it from us. So, so they steal it so they don't have to do it. That's how you do it. I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. Like, oh, I really don't like this one thing, but I really want this one thing. You steal it. You're like the carjacker in the Bronx. And, you know, the progressives of the world go, yay, China, good for you. Uh, but if they read the data here, they would see that there were no higher deaths in places where they didn't lock down. Right. But the places that were locked down, um, mental illness, self-harm, anxiety, those things – went way, way up, especially among kids. Right. Uh, in terms of self-harm and suicide, I think Anthony Fauci will be deemed eventually as a carrier. Uh, number one, they've locked down an entire city. They've separated uh, families from their children who test positive. They say 95% of all these people are asymptomatic in this variant. They've locked down Shanghai, and they're in the midst of doing it to Beijing. Mm-hmm. So why do I bring that up? Let's contrast as bad as you think America is, those people listening right now, we don't even, on our worst day, we are better than societies like this on their best. They're torturing Uyghurs, and they try to condemn you for bringing it up. And number two is, two years into a virus that they started, they still don't know how to handle it and have no interest in learning. Therefore, zero COVID deaths, no cases. And they are arresting mayors whose cities have too many cases. They're going to arrest and oppress their way out of a pandemic that they launched on the world. Please see this for what it is. Um, it is a uh, a bubbling revolution. 
That's what you do. That's how you that's how you foment revolution is you over oppress a society. And China was winning economically when they had like a partial free market. It's very interesting because this is a state run economy, but they they were really welcoming free market forces in order to what have they started doing themselves. They're ripping them back. Yeah. And now they're they're doing the opposite. Hey, uh, Eric, I'm looking to impress uh, Kennedy. She might even use this for her show and say she just found it herself. She'll go into her staff meeting right after this and say, guys, uh, quiet down for a second. I have a soundbite for you. That just could happen. Do you ever say that? All the time. Quiet down? Yeah, yeah. You guys, please, quiet down. Right. You know, eyes on me. One, two, eyes on you. One, two, three, eyes on me. Right. Um, and I think you're embellishing a little. In the beginning, I thought you were really telling me. And then you embellish. So listen to what Christopher Ray said on 60 Minutes that nobody seems to care about because they only wanted to talk about Russia. The biggest threat we face as a country from a counterintelligence perspective is from the People's Republic of China and especially the Chinese Communist Party. They are targeting our innovation, our trade secrets, our intellectual property uh, on a scale that's unprecedented in history. They have a bigger hacking program than that of every other major nation combined. They have stolen more of Americans' personal and corporate data than every nation combined. It affects everything from agriculture to aviation to high-tech to healthcare, pretty much every sector of our economy. Anything that makes an industry tick, they target. So what else does he need to say to get our attention no, How, and, it's getting no traction. Yeah, and and that's only sort of the uh, the IP theft and hacking part. Uh, but there, you know, it's like he's he's not even talking about the pandemic and human rights abuses, which you already touched on. But it's interesting because finally the FBI is talking about this because you you would think at the beginning of a statement he's going to say it's domestic terrorism. You know, it's it's parents at school board meetings like they're the biggest threat right. to the homeland. No, it's, you know, this apparatus that is the communist Chinese states and they will they're they're incredibly desperate, growing more so. And they're doing whatever they can to steal whatever they can to get an advantage because, um, you know, people who have the goods want to live in a place that's more free. If you want to win reelection, if you want to win the American people over, even in an inflationary cycle, you say you call a press conference, not to talk about the Ukraine war at 11 o'clock. You do it at 6 o'clock at night when most people are home and, and, and cable networks and others can provide you the time. And you say this. There's going to be a massive movement over the next five years. My, hopefully my successor, if it's not me, will continue it. That's going to move manufacturing back to, uh, back to, the, to the America and our allies because we cannot allow our, our goods to be in the hands of our enemies. And that's exactly what China is. And now that they've locked down those two cities, now the, our supplies that we need to come out of there will stop. Food and everything that's going through that area, it's all going to stop. And if you tell the American people we're moving things home, and at the same time, that's another reason to talk about workers' program, worker visas, to bring people here and bring industry back. And then we focus with those Central American countries who pretty much have a hard, great work ethic about bringing some of that industry here to our region, even if we have to supplement and train for a short period. But what if uh, – so what if China and Russia are – so aligned with one another that China doesn't really care about us and our business anymore. That would be really stupid for them, but let's assume that. the whole market. So, so, you know, incentivize companies to do business with India and Vietnam 
and Thailand. You know, there there are plenty of other Absolutely. countries where you can set up manufacturing and you can have quality control. It's it's China isn't the only country that provides quality control. And if you talk to people who manufacture there, the quality control is not fantastic. It isn't. Uh, they can't even keep Disneyland going in China. Because I know some people Sad. who work I for Disney, Ron DeSantis. and they go over there. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, and they go over there to check things out, and they can't believe how terribly it was built. They do not even allow them because their names on it. They don't even allow them to build their own stuff or fix it. So when we come back, Kenny will be in here and explain her next uh, goal in her career. It's a big which, deal. Which is big to do your show tonight. That's absolutely right, Brian. Thank you. Back in a moment. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And this is a moment for President Biden to take this, our, our momentum, people's fear, um, their disgust with the war, their disgust with energy prices, and, and, and use that to solidify a message to the American people that now is the time to transition. This is where the jobs are. This is where national security is. And we are going to keep pushing him to do it. And this is a, this is a gift to the president as we see it. And we see him uh, accepting it in such terms. So a gift from the president, the war in Ukraine to get us off oil and gas. That is Mark Ruffalo. Uh, Kennedy, do you want to take this? Whoa. Um, he he is um, intellectually void. It's it's very obvious that we are not at the point where we can get off oil and gas. We still very much need energy. If we don't have energy, the economy comes to a grinding halt and poor people are the ones who suffer and die first. Uh, yes, we are still very much on combustion engines. And our grids in our cities are powered by things like natural gas and even coal. And we're not quite there yet. It, it, is, it is a transition period that we have begun. But we are not there. It will be great when we are there. Um, until then... People like that who are so short-sighted and live in a financially secure bubble uh, don't need to speak for everyone when they talk about their dreams and desires that are far from reality. By the way, you got to recognize nuclear and, and uh, natural gas. I wish clean. we had thorium nuclear energy in this country. I did a couple of podcasts on it, and it's it's incredibly impressive. We have the means, and, and we would be entirely energy independent if we had that. Right. But in the short term, if you care about America— and you care at all about the what happened in Ukraine, you'd know the best thing we could do is get oil and gas to these European countries to stop Russia from fueling this war machine. Yes, and, and America produces more liquefied natural gas, which is what Germany and the rest of Western Europe needs. Right, and we had a, uh, a plan. Uh, 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 Advisor Johnson was saying that they were supposed to play, have to put it, uh, a pipeline into Portugal, go right through Europe and provide natural gas there. The French had to be convinced to allow to go through the Pyrenees Mountains, but now they would. But this administration has no interest in doing that. Idiots. Can you imagine? Yeah. We'll see you tonight at 7 Woo! on FBN. Thank you, Brian.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You just told me you're going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. The president's going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. You're not mandated to wear a mask there. But the administration at the same time is fighting a lawsuit to mandate people on planes, trains, and automobiles, or trains and buses to wear masks. So, like, if you're sitting at home, there's a disconnect here. Well, I think uh, most of us understand the difference between a hotel ballroom and an airplane. And uh, again, a lot of this is about what authorities the CDC has. So even if they don't think we need it at all, they'd still want to make sure that we get clarity in court on the legalities of it. But look, as a practical matter, and I know this is confusing, if you're getting on an airplane, it's your call. It's up to you. And I think the most important thing right now is that everybody's treated with respect, those who choose to wear a mask and those who choose not to. No, it's not the most important thing right now. It's important to get, uh, for once and for all, come up with a policy that makes sense, doesn't have you suing to get Title 42 out and suing to keep masks on. Uh, Scott Brown has seen the insanity from afar. He was ambassador to New Zealand under President Trump, but he's also on the inside as a senator from Massachusetts. Uh, and knows what it's like through the election process. Uh, Senator Brown, welcome back, or Ambassador Brown, welcome back. Well, Brian, it's great to be on with you and your listeners. And, yeah, it's like upside down uh, a year here. Everything's topsy-turvy. You can't make this up going from energy independence and uh, obviously a strong border, a great economy. uh, You know, you can't make this up in such a short time. So when you see what's going on right now, would you hesitate to go to a stadium, to go to the Celtic game as they take on the box? No, no. Listen, I'm in New Hampshire. I've been uh, born here, and uh, we have a very uh, good policy where it's live free or die. And people uh, respect the ability for people to wear a mask if they choose. But, uh, gosh, I haven't worn a mask uh, here in New Hampshire for months and months and months. So I want you to hear uh, what Dr. Fauci said over the last two days. Cut 16. How close are we to the end of this pandemic? We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. I want to clarify one thing, Jen. I probably should have said the acute component of the pandemic phase. And I think and I and that I understand how that could lead to some misinterpretation. Is the pandemic still here? Absolutely. Your witness, Scott, if you're really leaning on this guy to set your policy, I mean, why does he still have a job? Yeah, listen, uh, he's one of the highest paid people, first of all, in the government, number one. Uh, There's a complete lack of trust uh, with this uh, individual right now. People don't trust him because he's all over the map. He's always, you know, tossing and turning and and doing things differently. He says one thing and then uh, he tells us to do one thing and then he does the complete opposite. There's a complete lack of trust. I think you got to get rid of him. you got to start from scratch. And and bottom line is, yes, uh, I believe in states' rights. And a lot of the states, I believe, are handling this correctly. And we should have the ability for states to make those individual decisions, as you're seeing in Florida and other states. Bottom line is, uh, listen, this came out of left field. Uh, Obviously, it started in China, and uh, thank God President Trump uh, was able to cut through the red tape, Operation Warp Speed. Those who wanted to get the vaccine could, especially those vulnerable uh, and exceedingly vulnerable through health measures. But we also live in a country where you have the ability to uh, make decisions of personal choice. 
And that's the balance that we need to strike. And to have this one-size-fits-all government approach of the government telling us and taking away our rights is wrong. And that's what you see with this administration, not only uh, you know, when you're dealing with energy, when you're dealing with uh, competition. You, you name it, they're trying to overreach and control our lives, and it's just wrong. Absolutely. And now they just lost interest. Uh, my, my vaccine expired. I'm looking at my electronic card, and it, it says expired May, uh, April 19th. So am I not vaccinated? I have no idea. Uh, so yeah. I got to bring you to a couple of things that you have a unique perspective on. Yeah, I could not believe that Zealand had a New Zealand had a zero COVID policy and the oppressive conditions in which they were asked to live. Same thing with Australia. I mean, to see people arrested for walking outside without a mask. And then we even watched that outrageous display in Canada. Before I even get to China locking down 25 million, Scott Brown, what was going on in the country that you called home for four years? Well, the first, the first of all, it's a beautiful country. I'm so honored to have served there. I had New Zealand cook New Way Samoa and our interest in Antarctica. So I was honored to serve the president and push the America First agenda and push back against China every single day and what they're trying to do in the Indo-Pacific and the ASEAN region. That being said, the prime minister, Ardern, made a fatal mistake, which she said when it first came out that they were going to eliminate COVID. So if they had one case which they had one or two cases, they shut down the entire country for three weeks. And don't forget, countries like Australia and New Zealand, uh, uh, New Zealand is four hours by plane away from uh, Australia. It's three and a half uh, to, to Antarctica. Uh, there's only one or two flights that go there, uh, you know, from the United States. So they're able to shut off. It's an island with 5 million people, 25 million sheep. They can shut down the country and, you know, they're, they're, they'll, you know, be okay. But bottom line is the people are not happy. Uh, she, I just read today that there was a court decision say, saying that she violated people's rights and what she did was she illegal. Did. And they're asking for her to resign. And, and you see what happened in Australia. You see what happened in Canada. And respectfully, uh, that's why people run. That's why people get involved in politics, because they see the overreach of the, of the federal or, or governments of those particular countries and our country. That's why you have my wife and a whole host of other people deciding, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to run for political office. And that's the check and balance that we have here in America. Get involved, get these people out of here and change the policy. So uh, I'm looking right now at uh, the political environment and Republicans feel pretty good about themselves. Would you feel knowing what these tapes came out with Kevin McCarthy, knowing how he was talking about uh, uh, Matt Gates and uh, and uh, Marjorie Taylor uh, Marjorie Taylor, whatever, Green, keep Green. forgetting her name. And we talked about that. Do you think his, he's in jeopardy or should be in jeopardy of, of not being the nominee? Should they get the majority and become the, the speaker? Well, I think he and everyone else has to earn earn everybody's vote. You're going to see a, a really, I think, bright new crop of uh, new congressmen and women coming in. And quite frankly, a lot of them don't know who he is. They don't respect the things he's done. Some may. So he's going to have to really lobby hard and get their votes. Uh, that being said, uh, it's kind of like inside baseball. What people are care, care about in New Hampshire and, and all of my friends is, you know, the fact that when I got home from New Zealand, they're paying a buck seventy-two for gas, and now it's it was up to four sixty-nine. It's a little bit down now. The price of bacon two ninety-nine to five sixty-nine. Uh, you know, filling up your oil tank, the border. Uh, Title 42, uh, the fact that we have fentanyl flowing through our, our, our country. Especially and we have illegals coming across the country and they're not tested. We don't know who they are. I mean, it's upside down. Those are the things people care about. They don't care about a, a house. Who's going to be the speaker? Who gives a crap? 
I, I agree. Uh, Quinnipiac poll came out, and they asked the American people, what's the most important, urgent issue in this country? 31% say inflation. Number two is immigration. Number three is election laws. Uh, but it's significantly now, 31% inflation, 10% immigration. So that's pretty significant because inflation is just so comprehensive. Uh, down there, uh, 3% is COVID-19. Uh, 5% is gun violence. Climate change is at 6%. So we know where we stand. Now, one of the big things Republicans have in their mind is taking back the Senate, which is going to be anything but easy. Herschel Walker's brand new to this. Looks like he's going to get the nomination. Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick are in a bloodbath to get the nomination. And then there's runs for governorship. Uh, it's going to be hard keeping Stacey Abrams out of the governor's mansion. So you're going to see if they're going to uh, what can happen there. But for the Senate seat, uh, Herschel Walker might have some trouble. as uh, kind of new to this. And Mayorkas is not new, so he's got a chance to excel there. What I'm looking at now in the Senate, it might be the key, might be New Hampshire. But Maggie Hassan is said to be very vulnerable. Might you consider running? Yeah, no, that, I'm not running. I, my wife's running for Congress here in CD1, and she's uh, working really hard to win that seat. Uh, yeah, Maggie Hassan is vulnerable. She's the least accomplished senator in the United States Senate. And, uh, you know, she's already spent like $10 million to try to preserve her uh, her, her seat. And quite frankly, she's going to need to spend a lot more. You have three or four really solid candidates running. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very competitive. We, they've been some polling that shows that they're either tied or ahead of her right now, and they haven't really done or spent any type of money uh, against it. Yeah, listen, the Senate's going to be tough. It's going to be, I think, one or two votes either way in terms of the margin. Uh, I think the House uh, will have a, a pretty good uh, red wave. But here's the, here's the thing about Republicans. Do not get complacent. Do not say that your vote doesn't count. Election integrity is important. Of course it is. And that's why you need to get involved at the local level and be the, the clerk, uh, you know, that the counts the votes. Be, you know, be a spotter. Be an attorney that volunteers the day of the election. Don't just say, oh, I'm not going to vote because it, it doesn't count. I don't trust it. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, um, it's, 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 it's very important. Uh, to make sure you get involved and be part of the, the solution and not just keep complaining and complaining and complaining, Brian. Yeah, we have an opportunity to have a really big red wave, but, uh, you know, we have ways sometimes to screw things up. <laughs> I know. I know. I hear you. I, I hear your warning. Hopefully people are listening. Scott Brown, thanks so much. Best of luck uh, to your wife in her congressional run. Thanks for joining us. All right, Brian. Hey, best to you and everybody. Let's get me on. Uh, let me on Fox and Friends with this sometime. You got it. Kelsey Grammer next. Then I'm on Outnumbered. Thanks. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So glad you're here. Uh, kind of cool. I had a chance to catch up with Kelsey Grammer. He's got a brand new series. Uh, it's called Historic Battles for America. It's available now on Fox Nation. Uh, and this guy is extremely patriotic. He wanted to be part of this project, and he did. He's had a chance to do something you're not doing in schools much anymore, and that is going over great moments in American history. If you look at the 1619 Project, you think there were none. Uh, if you listen to most in the media, uh, there are none. Uh, but that's not the case at Fox. Certainly not the case on Fox Nation. I got the series What Makes America Great. So here's a little of my interview with Kelsey Grammer. People look at you in different roles, and they'll say, okay, that's, a, that's Frazier. You know, uh, that's a, he's from Cheers. He's from, uh, he's from the stage. He's a, I've watched him on stage. Yeah. I've watched him an actor. Do you want people to look at you and say, that's, that's a historian? That's the guy that's passionate that's about the, the country. History guy. <laughs> Would you, is that one of your um, – is that what you hope for? It would be, it'd be fine. You know, I mean, uh, 
you you hope for a, a voice that is uh, individual and and heard, and uh, and hopefully this is something I can pass on. I, I promise no one uh, a bunch of garbage. I promise every person that listens to me the truth, and that's what I'm going to try to do always. I have uh, no interest in anything else, and uh, if uh, people are interested and they pay attention, they'll get the straight story. So, Kelsey, the other thing is there's pushback, and I found it, too, uh, when you go out and people start talking about the 1619 Project. And, and uh, the governor mm-hmm. of New York says things like, America was never that great. I mean, what, what has happened yeah. over the last five or six years uh, since that, that New York Times sad. Project came out? Yeah, well, that really made me sad. I mean, that was Governor Cuomo when he said that. And I just thought, are you kidding? And when he said, I'm undocumented, well, I knew his, his uncle personally, who was a judge. There were plenty of documentation in that family, and he was a wonderful guy. So, I mean, this is a, it's all cartoonish politics is what, what the problem is. Uh, exaggeration after exaggeration in order to influence opinion, and, and hopefully people won't check. I really do think that, honestly, that most politicians at this point assume, oh, they'll just buy what I'm selling them. <laughs> so I just think they got to stop. But right. um, back, back to your question again, um, America has had some challenging moments in its execution, you know, how we got there. But there has been never, there has never been a greater dream. There has never been a greater government set in motion, at least, than the one that said, we're going to guarantee individual freedoms. That is our mission. And then when you watch what's happening in Ukraine today, and you realize what they're fighting for, even for a growing democracy with its problems and hiccups, they want the ability to vote on it. and, uh, And they're being steamrolled. And they're fighting back for oh, yeah. that idea. Oh, yeah. Do you think this gives oh, America amazing. a chance to recalibrate? Hey, wait a second, guys. What we're taking for granted here, uh, they're, they're actually dying well, for you know it. What? Yeah, it only gives us a chance if there are not enough people on the, you know, in the, the, the wisdom spectrum. You know, there is wisdom in the voices that teach us those people may actually end up making an impact on our sense of freedom, our understanding of freedom, because what they're going through right now is an extraordinary fight. And I look at once again, there's there are arguments on both sides. I know some Ukrainians and I know some Russians and and uh, along that eastern corridor there, that that edge of the border, uh, there was always some real conflict. Now, whether or not it was initiated by the Ukrainians, I don't know. But what Mr. Putin has done is overwhelming and, and, and staggering. And it's, uh, there, there's no way anybody with a rational brain can look at it and think, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's the, the right idea. Yeah. So. No, it's evil personified. It is modern-day Stalin and, uh, and Hitler, what he's doing. And he can't beat the right. army, so he's trying, to kill the, uh, he's trying to kill the civilians. I never thought we'd see this with a yeah, modern exactly. army. Um, I saw. Well, the... you know, I've, we've ahead. seen a lot of weird things lately. I mean, I'm, honestly, the whole lockdown thing. I mean, there was a group of people in our country that were willing to look at another group of people and say, "Well, then, if you don't do what I tell you, you should go to um, a camp." <laughs> I thought, well, that that gang is on the wrong side of history. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, <laughs> okay. If you're Shanghai, one of 25 million yeah. locked down with asymptomatic uh, of, of a subvariant, uh, I would think that's a little bit of bitterness. Weirdest thing in the world. Uh, I know. A couple of things. I saw that in the past you've talked about running for Congress or something. Are you still thinking about that? No, not anymore. I've, I've sort of put it aside. I, I, 
it, it's so dirty now and so so personal and you know of course i mean i got a family and i want i might want my family to be okay you know <laughs> then they're bound to say some things that would hurt them and uh i i, I want to do what I can to help my country be the best country it is. It can be, and I think it is the best country. Um, it's uh, it's no longer a calling for me. Though. Well, two of my favorite sad, people. I'm, I'm sadly yeah. so. Right, two of my favorite people, uh, you and Gary Sinise. Um, I just think, and yeah. we're on talk radio, and the worlds collide together. Looking back at your series, Frasier, which ironically I was being mm-hmm. I was out in California at the time. I'm being toured through and they go, I know you guys know Cheers is coming to an end, but you see that set in the corner? That's gonna be Kelsey Grammer's gonna get his own series called Frasier. And you hadn't even started it yet. And I just thought, wow, yeah. I hope, I wonder if this is spin-off's gonna work. Well the answer is yes. Uh four yeah, Emmys ready. <laughs> but here's here's Gary Sinise calling into your radio show host so I can relate to you. Uh here's Gary Sinise calling into your show. Hello, Dr. Crane. I have a terrible fear of talking on the phone to people I do not know. I freeze up. It is a severe handicap in today's fast-paced, highly competitive world. Sir, are you reading what you're saying? <laughs> so you had celebrities call in that's, to your show. That's pretty funny. They called in a lot. You know, I forgot, I forgot that Gary called. I just, I just got a text from him. We're going to do a celebration of the Sinise Foundation in Nashville. He's just moved. Yeah, we had him <laughs> on today. October, I think. That's a funny thing. Right. Well, you were part of it. You did it. I mean, do you remember yeah, those days no, fondly, or was it just a lot no, of work? I remember. I remember it very fondly. It was the best work of my life. And listen, I, I've been blessed. I mean, I got to do what I love to do. For a long time, uh, there was a time when I was waiting tables when I thought this is never going to work. But you know, I, I got over that hump and things turned out okay. And uh, I have a wonderful life, and a wonderful family, and a great career. And so you know, honestly, I, I have nothing to complain about. I just, I'm just, I'm here to do my best to serve the people. I still believe in that, and I still believe in entertainment based upon do. And so all this stuff is um, that's what I'm trying to do now. And Kelsey, and now you have a chance to be part of the Fox family. We appreciate it. Uh, the war, the, the award-winning actor, producer, director, and has a brand new series, host of Kelsey Grammer's Historic Battles for America, available now on Fox Nation. You will love it. No one delivers like Kelsey because it comes from the heart because he bleeds red, white, and blue. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Brian. Nice right. to talk to you, man. And I'll see you in the lunchroom. All right. Thank you. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.